welcome one and all to Season 5, Episode 2 of Two Guys, One Dice Cup, entitled Mulligans 2024. My name is Al Goldeneye Unicorn, and as always on this fabulous podcast, I am joined by my co-host... <gasps> Phil from Raj's Cairns. I'm, yeah. trying not, I'm trying not to pause it there, just in case... Uh, yeah, don't, don't leave the pause upset. too big. Because if you leave yeah. pause words or pause gaps... People I don't even know just, what the pause word is, Al. Um, well, just think, if, if you have to think about the pause word, then just, you know, stop. Don't pause, just stop. But back yes. in the back cave. So this is our second episode of the year. And myself and Phil are looking forward to an impending uh, Blood Bowl tournament. Oh, was that a pause word? When I went, uh, I don't know. Yes, yes it Definitely was. Definitely a pause word. I, I think that is a pause word. Okay, but we'll 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 migrate past that. <laughs> um, Mulligans Open twenty twenty four is the the big two day event that's coming up in Edinburgh in Scotland, and um, I am pretty sure, other than the Megatron Mega Bowl last year, this is another event that will put us in the same room for yes. a couple of days, and I am going to be glued to you like. A fat kid on a cupcake. <laughs> you have to play as well as I do then, because otherwise we'd not be sitting in the same part of the room. Ooh, is that is that like you calling me out for being shit? Or are you just saying <laughs> that anything could happen? I'm just saying anything that could, could happen. I, I could play shit, and then you could play really well, or we'll have to track each other. Phil, even if, when if you we said that, get... even... Even when you said that, I could hear the disdain underneath of it. <laughs> Things that won't happen. And what the list, what 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 the listener? Yeah. <laughs> what the listener has to understand is that in our third episode of the year, we will talk about mulligans because we're both going, <laughs> and we'll both find out who played well and who played bad. But in this episode, we're going to talk about the player pack. And myself and Phil, we're going to talk about the teams and the rosters that we've decided to take to um, to take in the challenge of the Mulligans Open. So it's two days, six games, beast of a tournament. But we'll talk more details about that later. Yes. In the classic sense, though, uh, myself and Phil, we do want to have a chat about the games that we've already been playing over the past month. Mm-hmm. And Phil, you're always good to start off with this sort of thing because you have been, you're always quite active when it comes to Blood Bowl. Yeah, I, most of my games have been online. Um, let me have a look. I will have a look and see what I'm filling now. I'm filling now because I'm conscious about pause words. I'm literally <laughs> conscious about pause words. Somebody has made me self-conscious about pause words. Fuck that person. Right. Um, <laughs> so um uh let me have a look here. I have played I think four games in the last month online. Um just practicing fair stuff. Um playing people I am friendly with, um I, I within our so pe- I don't know if we've mentioned before, you and I uh and a bunch of other folk are on two of the teams that Aberdeen are putting forward for the Scottish Team Championship in April. Um, So 
we've just been playing practice games amongst ourselves in the group so far, uh, just to yeah. kind of get up to speed with what we're doing, sort of. Uh, well, it's not. Shit. It's not just practice games though that we've been playing. We've had uh, lots of the players on a group chat at the same time, so yeah. it's it's more like a open book gameplay where you've got people commenting from the sidelines, you've got the players talking to each other about what we're trying to achieve um, and what our goals are for the game. And I guess we'll both talk about that when we, we speak about the games we've played, but just to give the listeners a bit more of an overview, it's not just you know friends playing games against each other, we're actually trying to learn a little bit more as we're playing um, from each other, because there's quite a broad skill set uh, and experience level between us all. Yeah, I think that was the important thing for the team uh, was, uh, although we're split off into two, we're, we're kind of, we've taken it as one whole team. Um, and the idea behind it was that we would look at, at the games and try and catch things from other people's perspectives, because it's quite easy to get like kind of locked into your own game and just play the same way over and over again. And you miss stuff. So it was more a case um, of getting into other people's mindsets as well, hearing feedback or, or even just somebody questioning why you did something and, and why you did it at that particular point, um, which I think was quite has been quite useful uh, for me. Um, I had So I've had four games, five, five including one in person for practice for, for this. Uh, with with my team, I played against uh, uh, Liam, uh, whose nickname is Philby, uh, and I won two nil in that one. Um, I played against Ross uh, Anderson, nineteen eighty four, or Hipster Potter, as he is more commonly known on this podcast, and I beat him two nil. Um, I played. GWI1874, Gordon, or Huntley Loon, as he's more commonly known on this podcast. I played him and lost uh, 2-1. And then I played uh, Shrike, whose real name's Callum, um, and won 2-1 in that one. What um, so, what team were you playing, though, mate? Never said. Lizards. Okay. So, um, yeah, practicing away with Lizards. Um, I'm, I'm quite I'm quite comfortable with them. There's elements of the game that I need to start uh, looking at to kind of make that next step above uh, where I'm comfortable and sort of push um, push harder at certain points of the game. But I feel things have been kind of going okay. I, uh, the game I get I lost against Gordon. Um, that was primarily down to I. I it it was dice, but it was my poor decision that led to the dice being the factor. So I should have, I, I, and I knew it as soon as I'd done it. I was like, if I have to make this go for it here, because I've gone one square too far forward and it double ones, it's fucked my drive. And sure as shit, that's what happened. So mm-hmm. it, it was just, just. I, it's a good kind of learning thing, you know. I I, I was well well in for a uh, a draw on that one at at, at worst if things hadn't gone uh, bad. Um, I, I don't know if I would have got a win, um, but a draw was was on the cards. 
So sitting at 301 uh, at the moment with that is not too bad. I'm happy with that. Um, I also played a game in person with... Um, so I ran High Elves um, and uh, Sean, whose name name's Spooner, uh, he was playing as Lizards. Uh, and that was just to give him a practice against an Adge team, um, which I'm quite happy to do because I need to. That's Adge is another type of playstyle that I need to get more comfortable with and, and better at. So um, that was fine. Uh, that one finished two one to him. Um, I failed a two plus handoff to. Uh, or was it a three plus handoff? A three plus handoff to score effectively, which would have made it two two. Um, and it was a, it was a fun game. It was a good learning experience uh, for playing the edge teams. I got away with a, a rather spicy cage dive in that one as well. Um, and nearly stopped him from scoring on his drive. So that was fun. And then we had our first preseason meet for the ABBC. Um, so season's going to start in like in the next month, um, and I arranged for like some of the newer players to come along, which was good. Getting to put faces to names, um, we got a couple of returning players, which was good, and uh, a player who hasn't played since like in person in the league since COVID uh, kicked off. He was playing quite actively online. His life circumstances changed. He had he, Him and his partner had a kid, so he'd stopped uh, coming uh, to the league effectively. Well, he's returning, and that was grand, so I got a chance to play against him. Uh, he's been mentioned on the podcast before. Has he been on the podcast? I think you've had him on as part of a UKTC team review. I'm trying to remember if I did or not. I'm sure if, you if have. He, if he wasn't, he should have been. Uh, and it's uh, his name's Stephen, and his nah, name's Stephen Brands. Um, so he was playing uh, Corn, and I was playing Lizards, and we just played like a a basic TV uh, like starting team. Uh, so no no skills or anything, no skill packs. I was playing lizards against his corn. It was hilarious. Um, <laughs> we had, had all sorts of shit going on. Um, like, I lost a Saurus first turn. Um, and it wasn't off the back of, like, uh, a proper hit or anything like that. It was a, a failed uh, block on his part. Uh, where both of our players went down because neither of us had block, and he he was fine, and and I lost the Soros. so uh, it was like awesome. Yeah, it was it, it was a bad start. I stopped him from scoring and turned him over uh, because he dodged away from uh, a Skankerosaurus. I nipped in, picked up the ball, handed it off ran over into the corner and scored uh, turn six or something like that, seven in his drive. He couldn't score because he had no re-rolls left and the ball was not in a good position. And then we went into my drive. I scored fairly early on, I think. Uh, he scored 
and then no no actually he scored no this is this is this is coming back to me now he scored because i went i've always kind of pushed myself to try some crazier shit because i'm, I'm pretty uh conservative with play style and i thought well if i make this four up pass four up catch uh because he got a, he got a blitz um on the the kick um so I, I was kind of forced into kind of making a bit more of a, a kind of run with it um four up pass four up catch i could just be away and he wouldn't and it, it would effectively be game over and i'd be winning two nil uh but then the the ball went i made the pass fine but i failed the catch the ball bounced around a bit ended up in a better square for him he managed to get a bunch of players on it long story short he managed to wriggle his way out and score uh, but then that left me. I, he was kind of forced to score at that point, um, right? Which led to me having an opportunity to score it again in about two or three turns, and that I, I managed that fine, uh, which ended up with me finishing two-one uh, win, um, which was it was a fun game. Both of us had loads of KOs as well, um, so I think there was a. a a couple of the drives where we only had nine players each, um, but there was there was no there was no drive where like apart from the first one where we both had a full team um, at the kickoff. So yeah, uh, it was fun. It was a good game, and uh, it was good to to see him in person again for uh, after so long, and good to have him back in the league, and good to have the league kicking off again as well. That's all my games. How about you? What have you done? I have been busy. I'm very thankful for that. But to start on with Blood Bowl, uh, of course, when we you know, just spoke there, I'm, I'm part of this Scottish um, team, team championship. And I have managed to only get two games in um, just because of, you know, scheduling issues, IT issues, life issues, sick children issues, etc. Um, but we won't bore the listeners with that. Uh, but the game is played, though. I got a game against the Dark Elves of um, Hipster Potter. Yes. Uh, I hate saying his real name, but Ross Anderson. 1984. Change of name. And uh, I'm using uh, Dwarves at the moment, which shouldn't be a surprise to regular listeners of the podcast. I seem to be fixated with Dwarves, and I think that'll probably last the entire of, entirety of 2024 or, um, or Season 5. Of two guys, one dice cup, as we've sort of now dubbed it, <coughs> and that was the sort of first game where I think we'd got a few people on the call, and uh, there was lots of tactics talks, but there was more sort of like right, well we've talked about it, let's just get the the pieces moving and the ball moving, and um, and it ended one one, which any good sort of dwarf game really should end. Um, but going into it and going into all the practice games, I'd highlighted to all the players that what I find most difficult is the defensive side of Dwarves. Um, you know, I always felt for myself, I don't have any issues scoring my, my one touchdown, you know, which, you're, which all Dwarf coaches feel like they're entitled to. Uh, I, don't have, I don't feel like I've got an issue getting my touchdown. The problem is I can't, my, my defence always has some sort of leak which my opponents exploit, so I really have to try and work on that. 
keeping that in mind, the next game I played was against um, Liam, whose nickname is Felby, is that correct? That's right, yeah. Right. And so Liam was playing uh, Norse. And he had a horrific start. You know, I received uh, casually two guys straight off the line of scrimmage. And, you know, obviously that's bad for them. Got my touchdown. And then, again, the defence, obviously my defence wasn't solid enough. And um, he got himself into a position, I think it was second half, around turn five or turn six, where I, I couldn't affect the ball carrier. And this was another great moment when we had two other players online, and it was uh, Mor Naval, as his naff name, um, Ryan Odlin is his real name, and um, we had Callum as well, uh, Shrike, yeah? And so we had a lot of good chat, some really good tactical choices and sort of, you know, myself and Liam would offer up the ideas of what we were going to do. The other players would critique it back and then we'd sort of let it play out. But in that game, we decided Liam could, you know, stall it out and get a 1-1 draw. But we decided to role play it a little bit and say, look, Imagine our captain has said, you know, oh my God, you need to win. So Liam scored earlier than he needed to. And then I tried to push to get the win, um, which didn't happen and it finished 1-1. I think back to what I'd said about my defensive problems. And then I wrote, and I'm sure it's something that you said as well, that, how do I phrase this now? I have always tried to maintain a sort of solid wall defence and just stall it out, get myself 1-0. And it was a combination of what you said, and I think Shrike said it, in that if I had to apply more pressure on my opponent and force them to try and score early, to then try and give me more time in that half or the next half or whatever, to then try and score to make it 2-1, knowing that the strength I've got with Dwarves is that I can hold the ball and score. I just need, you know, an X amount of time to achieve it. Um, so that's really the takeaway I've got so far from <coughs> excuse me, from my games. Uh, and I need to test it out a few more times um, to make sure that is actually the case. So um, I, it's been a really useful it's been a really useful tool having other players on hand to, to advise just to have that you know, almost that not an, an epiphany moment, but the you know the reminder of you know the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. If I'm not able to put up a, a solid defence, then change my defence to a pressure to cause them to score and then try and attack again. Because um, if the result's going to be one-one, you might as well you know. As a dwarf player, I might as well have the ball and be trying to make it two one to to win the game. So I don't know if I've I've ranted on a little bit about that, but I've, I've I feel like I've got some learnings from dwarfs, which has been good. I don't know if that's reflective of what you've you've seen. Yeah, I I think I think that probably pretty much sums it up. I think you you definitely you definitely play the the offense part. Fine. There's a, there's a few. There's a few bits here and there, but like that's like anything. And I think um, with you, a lot of it's 
like rustiness as opposed yes. to uh, playing wrong um, or playing badly. Um, I think the what what you we were saying uh, about the scoring, uh, sorry, forcing your opponent to score earlier so you've got more time is is the better thing to do. I I saw it as, when I was watching back your game. It was, like you you concentrated more on trying to cause damage to his team where you should have just ran back some players and pressed the issue and caused him to score and you would have had maybe four turns to score then um rather than three uh, you ended up with either no it was two you ended up with yep so even having even having that extra turn would have been brilliant because you'd have had more more space to work there was a, a couple of things and i think it, it's been a thing that's evident across a few few folk in the group is reroll management's pretty hit or miss you know i think that was another thing that, that kind of cropped up but other than that yeah i whatever you were saying was uh was, was spot on there and then so on top of that it will come as no surprise to our regular listeners that I've been playing some bolt action. And January, sorry, December and January, I, I had no bolt action gaming at all. So you know, the last game I had played was um, November uh, at a tournament called Winter War, which I won the tournament. I won all my games there. It was really great and great way to end the year. So when I got into early February, I've made a few sort of new connections around my um, local area. And so I've I managed to rope a few of those guys <coughs> who play bolt action to come over to the house. We've had a few friendly games at home and in my own home comfort, which has been great. And it's the first time I've had friends over for gaming um, in my new property, in my new hometown. So that was that was really refreshing. And they were just nice, friendly games. Uh, playing a guy called Stuart. He was had a, a US Army. And I use the, the first game I used a nice sort of gen, a generic German army, and it was just sort of a beer and pretzel style game, just to make sure the rules were there, and just to sort of have have some fun. So there's no, I'm not going to go in depth about the game at all. Uh, the second game was we we upped the points, and we said, look, let's get a little bit more serious because we we were both going to be attending a a tournament called Spring Offensive which is a doubles tournament. And the, the format being that you're teamed up, you team up with another player, you both pick a, a nation to play, and you have to split 1,300 points between the two of you. But you each have to spend a minimum of 600. So it's almost like there's... Um, excuse me. There's, it's almost like there's 100 points that, that's sort of free-floating. And you negotiate with your, you with your partner as to how best to spend that between your two armies. So we decided to take our sort of we had separate partners, but we, we would take our half of our doubles army and then just add points to it to bring it up to a thousand points just to get some practice with the units that we were going to be using. And again, that was a really enjoyable game against Stuart. Covered off in some of the more sort of um lesser known rules. Uh, and we had a lot more tactical checks. I wanted to help Stuart to make sure he was going to have a good, a good time at the event. And for me, it was a, a way to sort of dust off the cobwebs of my bolt action knowledge and bolt action gaming. 
And there was even a few moments where I said to him, it's like, look, this is like on the competitive edge, but I'm going to do, you know, action X to get outcome Y to cause, you know, Z. And he's like, look, mate, if it's in the rules, which it is, you just go and do it. And I think the one that highlights was that he had a unit on ambush, meaning that if anybody moves within his line of sight, he can fire at it. But I drove this truck up so that it was out of sight of him. And then I proceeded to disembark a squad of engineers. But I did it in such a way that only one of his infantrymen could see. And that's when I had to say to him, it's like, look, mate, only one of your guys can see, which means only one of your guys can shoot. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, okay. But what that meant was that I could get myself into a position where I could see just one of his models out of, I think there was nine, but it meant that I could shoot a flamethrower at it and hit on three, but then I could potentially kill the whole unit, even though they were all out of sight. And it was just a quirk of the rules. It's just something that can, that can happen. As it turned out, you know, I got in position, I missed, but it was just that moment of like, <sighs> tactically, I saw the opportunity that other players might not have seen based upon their knowledge of the rules. Um, so it was good. I was happy to see that sort of little um, competitive glimmer was still there. But the, what that actually meant was that, so, so those were two nice friendly games and I got wins in both of them, but what was important was for Stuart, he got to learn quite a lot and get some confidence back in, the, in his game. And so then we actually did attend a uh, the bolt action doubles tournament called Spring Offensive, which was held in Dunfermline, and actually, as we're recording, it was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. And so I teamed up with a you know fellow, well, fellow Blood Bowl player, current Blood Bowl Team Scotland captain, um, and Purdy Burdindas. That's accurate, isn't it? Yes. So myself and Ant, we've we've always been bolt action doubles partners since like for years. There's there used to be an event down in Newcastle that we would regularly attend, um, which was bolt action doubles because we would always go because it was a good night out. Um, but so we've we've kept that partnership going. So at this tournament, we decided to team up um, two nations, Bulgaria and Romania which are both minor Axis powers and they are hardly ever seen at a tournament. But we decided we're going to, you know, go down the path less trodden. And one of the reasons for it was that Bulgaria bring a special rule, which is called um, anti-partisan operations. And it means that in bolt action terms, people can't forward deploy any units, nor can they outflank any units. And outflanking in bolt action means that uh, you can have models off the board and they can come on on the left or right flanks on a six foot by four foot table. But if you're Bulgarian, your opponent never gets to do that. Uh, and I tell you what, mate, I absolutely was like cat amongst the pigeons when we were telling some of our opponents that just because Bulgaria is hardly ever seen on the tabletop at a tournament. And they just, and, and there was one opponent that just looked at us. He's like, have you got that in the book? And we're like, yeah, we do. 
and we knew it, we knew he was questioning it because his entire strategy was based around outflanking his units, and he's just like, and you could see his whole world just sort of not fall apart, but you know, almost like it was like the Matrix. He realised it was all false. It was all just nonsense. Um, That's amazing. It was it was it was tough going. <laughs> so our first opponents were a guy, um, a team of um, Lauren and Robbie. They brought a British army and an Italian army. And uh, the British army was fairly standard, but the Italian army had some new cavalry units that came out in one of the recent books. And their trick is that they can charge twice in one turn. Really powerful. Uh, and it actually gave us quite a worry. It was the first time I'd faced them, but you know, I'd theorised on how, how to beat them. But long story short, we did win that game. Um, and we were quite happy with how we played. The second game was against two guys from Glasgow called Adam and Max. And they had gone with a double United States army. And they... These guys, I've, I've mentioned them in other sort of recordings around the bolt action world, but they had put a lot of thought into their army in terms of what was going to beat the meta or the current meta as the sort of world sees it with these sort of the meta being, you know, light tanks, uh, Gurkha veteran troops, which are awesome in close combat. They, they put a lot of thought into their army and when myself and Ant read the lists, we were, we we were, you know, very much not the meta, but we knew they were going to be really tough. It was going to be a tough army to crack. And what their army centered around was, um, were veteran, uh, Sherman tanks. So usually most people are taking armor eight tanks, but these are armor nine tanks, and because they're veteran, they get to negate the penalty for moving and shooting. So these tanks could move and shoot without a without an additional minus one penalty, which everybody else has to have. And, uh, and it's like, yeah, that's that's really good. And look, they played really well. They played extremely well. And there was a moment, and it's a moment I'm really proud of. It was about partway through turn four, and myself and Ant were sitting down and. You know, there's, a, there's always a strong flow of communication between myself and Anne. And we were saying to each other, like, mate, we're up against it. We are, we are backs to the wall here. And we were looking at it, looking at the table. And that's when I had this moment of clarity, which I've had before in other games, but it's only just been myself that sort of noticed it and sorted it out. But I had to verbalise it all to Anne, which made it a little bit more more real. And it's like, Anne, why the fuck do we feel like this? Look at the kill dice. There's only we've only killed one unit each. All our units are still engaged. For sure these boys they've they had the strategy. Like their strategy was put out and they were, you know, looking really strong. But it's just that reminder of Anne, what the fuck, mate? Let's we're not done. We're not beat. We're not. We're not backing down. Let's just pick ourselves up. And that was then. I realised as well that we were sitting down, looking at the table, and then I looked up, and Adam and Max 
were standing up and they were, you could see they were, you know, full of positivity. Their tails were up. I'm like, even our body language is wrong. I'm like, stand the fuck up. We're going to do this. We're not done. And then it was like partway through turn four, up we got. When we got into turn five, I could, I would need a whole podcast just to talk about the strategies of this game. But when we get into turn five, that's when things just clicked uh, back towards us. Um, you know, I had a, a tank that called a Kugelblitz. It's a great piece of kit, but it killed one of their Shermans in turn five. Then in turn six, it killed the other Sherman, and it just stuff just revolted. It was amazing, mate. But it was that meant that change in mentality from us of you know from being from literally sitting down and almost defeat to stand up. Let's get it done. I think we've spoken about mental attitude before on the podcast and gaming. Yeah, and it, and it was so apparent in that game where. Where we we hadn't the maths said we hadn't lost, but looking at the strategy on the table, we had lost, and that's what we were focusing on. So now we got we got a good win with from that game, and uh, and the boys were really happy because they knew that myself and Ant were were strong players, and they they could say it's like mate we we saw you guys stressing, and we knew that we had caused you to stress, which made us happy. <laughs> <clears throat> so that was that was really good for them. I'm really happy for them. Then game three, we played Brian and Mike, and they they brought a fully meta list. Twin Britain. They had the M3 Stuart light tanks. They had veteran infantry. They had twin medium howitzers. They had twin heavy mortars. They were they were kitted up. And uh, how did we play that one out? It was a it was a objective type game and there were four objectives on the board so myself and Ant had had a really good strategic chat about it and we went really aggressive uh, early on to claim three of the objectives out of the four which would have given which gave us the victory and I think it was like the tail end of turn four our dice abandoned us which was okay and but our opponents then started to put pressure really strongly on us, and so for the last um, for the last three turns of the game, because we got a bonus turn for the last three turns of the game, we literally had our you know heads down, and all we had to do was our units just had to survive, which was it was it was a close run thing. But I don't know if any of them will ever listen to this podcast. But there was a there was a a section of terrain. It was like a mat, but it's used as like a to represent a ploughed field. It's like a, you know, I don't know, like a twelve by twelve inch square cut out little bit of carpet. But it does look like a ploughed field. And for whatever reason, I had decided to roll my dice on it, and um, I think I had like I was shooting a medium machine gun that had six shots, and I needed to hit on fours. So I had the six dice and I, I rolled them on this mat and it came out four sixes, a five and a four. And everybody just went like, whoa, fucking hell, wow. Like I didn't need the sixes, like four plus was enough, but it was just the moment of like, whoa, all those sixes. 
So I took those dice off. I scooped up the other six because obviously they're all hit. And I needed, and that's when I needed like fives and sixes to kill infantry. And I rolled six other dice onto this little field. And it rolled another four sixes and two fives. And it's just like, fucking hell, that's got the magic on it. And even at the end of the game, I tried rolling on it again and it rolled way above average. It was unreal. <coughs> but long story short for that game, and I appreciate the listeners don't often enjoy my bolt action stories, but uh, that was another that was another victory. That was three wins for myself and Ant, um, which gave us top spot. So we finished first overall, which was it was a really great achievement, especially considering that we were using Bulgaria and Romania. Yeah. Which are not they're not major powers from World War Two and that's reflected in their um, army options and you know, how often you actually ever see them at a tournament. So we were we were quite chuffed. And on top of that, I was awarded um the runner-up spot for Player's Choice for Best Painted. And I also brought a table of terrain, but it's, it's a great community thing, you know. Tournament organisers often in Scotland will, will put a call out for for players and clubs to bring tables of terrain, and they, they give a prize, or sort of players vote on whose who's table looked the best, and they give a prize out for it. I also won Best, best Table as well, so... Um, you know, getting coming away f- with from that event with three awards, all for different aspects of the hobby. I was really happy, you know, and I I really love playing bolt action, and my, I hope my opponents or our opponents all enjoyed themselves. Um, you know, so it was good. It was a really good weekend, but it was exhausting, and I'm sure it was exhausting because of the constant flow of communication between your your doubles partner. Everything that would normally be an internal conversation had to be an external conversation. Um, and then on top of that, <coughs> excuse me, I hope some of the regular listeners understand bolt action in that the, every unit on the board has an order dice. And to determine the activation, that dice is put in a bag and they're drawn blindly out every turn. Because there are effectively four players and four different armies, it means that there are four different coloured sets of order dice in the bag. And so okay, the maths yeah. the the maths of, you know, what are the odds of me drawing my dice out sort of thing are just mind blowing. You know, if you're you know, if it's just a one on one game and you've got eighteen order dice and your opponent's got twelve you know what the odds are of you drawing a dice out and then that obviously changes from turn to turn. But when there are four different coloured order dice and you're waiting for yours and you see uh, the other three colours coming out so much and you're like, yeah, this is driving me up the wall. But um, that added that added sort of mental number crunch and also taxed me quite a lot. But thanks listeners for bearing with me. I had a really great weekend and I got to kick off the bolt action tournament year with a win and I got to do it beside one of my friends which is even better yeah that's good that sounds like a great weekend honestly mate doubles doubles is good fun and I, I mentioned to somebody else um, earlier today uh, actually another another sort of 
content creator guy called Bo Mortensen. I'm sure I've mentioned him. I've been on his YouTube channel a few times that if anybody ever does want to do some sort of a in-game recording of a bolt action game, it should be a doubles game because if you mic up all the players, you'll get to hear what they're actually thinking about in terms of strategies, planning, uh, you know, because everything that I would normally do as a single player, I obviously never verbalise it, but I needed to tell Ant what my plan was because yeah. it sometimes sometimes it involved his his squads moving in a particular order so that my squad could or my units could do something and the outcome would be this. And every now and then he would look at me he's like, is that going to work? I'm like, mate, it could work. But when a plan did work, it was just like, yep, we made that happen. That was really cool. But it, because it's all verbalized out there, it would make a great, um, it would actually make a great sort of tabletop spectator sport. Yeah, I think no, that makes sense. I think um, it would it would be be a good one for people to analyze what was happening, but also um, for new newer players to get the the thought process. Yep, from people who were more experienced, be an interesting one to watch. That was good times, mate. Good times. But with all that being said and done, it's not just been wargaming that we've been doing we are uh, we're both active hobbyists behind the paintbrush so what's um what's on the table for you just now mate i am still working my way through uh first commission of the year which is an underworld team uh that i need to finish before mulligans um which is just over a, uh, just under a week away now um so i'm i'm actually pretty far on with that um i've just got four players to finish off so I, I should get that one done fine um but other than that like i have done i don't think i've done any more painting other than that that's been kind of like my main focus because I, I knew it and like a, a hard deadline for that so um i've been cracking on with that one uh but yeah i've been enjoying it there's the models are 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 nice um i would say there's and and the the guy i'm painting them for knows knows this but um he got them from Gribo, and i don't think they traveled well um okay. which means there's quite a few broken bits on them which is a shame but uh, and then he, i think he tried to get them replaced but um Emails were going unanswered, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's a bit of a shame. Some of it's some of it's not bad and not and not difficult and not doesn't lose anything on the model. There's a couple of odd misprints and things like that on them as well, which isn't good. So they've obviously moved from metal to resin to printing now. Uh, so it's it's been a challenge to paint some of them because of that but the the ones that are spot on are really nice models right. like the underworld troll was really nice to paint um the snotlings were really nice to paint as well uh they're just uh loads of character 
So well, well designed models. I just don't know if if Grebo if it'd be bitten off more than they could chew on their kickstarters and have a bit of a QC issue. Um, so just a shame. But yeah, I, it's, it's been a nice a nice uh, nice start to the year on that front. But I, I don't think I've painted any of my own stuff. How about you? What have you been painting? Mate, flat out hobby, absolute galore happening in this this uh, this neck of the woods. So let's look around. So I've been continuing chipping away at my Japanese army. So I've added maybe ten more infantry models to that, mm-hmm. uh, taking them up to a stage where I just need to base them, but. You know, much like yourself, I like to base an entire army or an entire collection at the same time so that the bases have the same look. So Yes. I don't want to bits it. So um, they're sort of off to one side, slowly getting picked upon. Uh, I started that big new commission for a Polish bolt action army. Yep. And so I have got about, what is that, 10, 20, I've got about 25 infantry models, including some team weapons done. Uh, again, to the same stage where they just need to be based, but you know, I'll work on that. So they, are, they were started and completed. They're sitting to one side. I've got another, what's that, another 20 of them, another 20 Polish infantry, which have just been undercoated and had their sort of main colour airbrushed on. So they're sitting off to one side. They're well underway. I have been going flat out on my new dwarf team, which I need for the Mulligans Open and the Scottish Team Championship, which we've already spoken about. Mm-hmm. What stage are they at? It's hard to tell. I know that sounds really odd, but they are... Nothing is, not one element on them is finished. Right. <laughs> but they are very advanced in terms yeah. of, you know, the the skin tones have got five layers of highlighting. But I still need to do a little bit of sort of muscle shading uh, and stuff like that. The shirt sort of cloth vests have got four layers of highlighting, but there still needs to be some sort of, not... I'll say black lining, but I'm not going to be using black, but a dark line colour sure. to do some separations. Um, and there's obviously there's, there's two different types of colours of cloth going on. Uh, so it's kind of the same like on the belts and straps, you know, three to four layers of highlighting has gone on, but there still needs to be work. Uh, gemstones all over them. I've got one base coat. They're probably the least advanced part. But I think every model's got at least six gemstones that I've decided to do, which is which is fine. Um, the beards I have approached in a different way, and the beards are getting layered up with... Oh, I'm using different contrasts and washes. Not over the complete, so it's like... You know, some of the beards, if they're sort of like a dark brown, around the mouth, they're they're black, and then they feather out to a lighter colour. Mm-hmm. So that, that's been different layers of, of washes and inks going on with paint. I find it really hard to describe what it is I'm what it is I'm doing. It's 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 
hope it's not going to be too subtle for people to actually pick up on it. Um, obviously, I haven't shared pictures of any of these anywhere. I'm working quite hard on it. Then the, the main colour of the armour is green, and it's well weathered, but I still need to do more weathering processes on it. And a lot of those... A lot of those final weathering processes will tie in with the entirety of the miniature. I'm finding it really hard to describe. But all the the, the transfers are on um, because they, they need over as well. Um, but one thing I'm quite proud about the dwarfs that I'm doing is that there are no metallic paints being used. It's all colour. Um, which is good. And <laughs> when I sat down, I had a plan for the armor, but when I looked at all the cloth, I was like, I've, I've got no idea. My go-to paint of choice is a Citadel paint color called Incubi Darkness. Are you familiar yes. with it? Yes. If, if in doubt, Incubi Darkness is my go-to paint. Because I can never tell if it's like a deep green or a sort of deep ocean blue or what fuck colour it actually is. It's yeah, or, or, it's or is a, it a odd it's yeah. an odd mix of the two there. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And I have um you know, and I've highlighted it with a colour called Void Shield Blue, which I think would be like old time old school ice blue uh-huh. for these guys. But I've also, you know, highlighted it, you know, in other places with, um, you know, bone color, a white. Uh, I, I love it. I absolutely love that paint. So the dwarfs, the dwarfs will get finished. They will be at Mulligans and they will be complete. I just don't know if I'll be happy. Are we I ever like... happy with, with a paint job, though? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are. I am. I don't. So, I don't think I'm ever a hundred percent happy with one. I think there's all, if I if I go back there and um have a look at any paint job I've done, I will always see something. And I was like, oh, I could have done this a bit better. Um, and it's not for one of uh, like I'm not saying I've done a bad job. I'm just saying. Like I know there's like elements that I could probably have done better yeah. than I did do them, but I, I'm like I'm hyper critical of my own stuff. Yeah, and I'm, no, I, I'm a perfectionist. I take that's why I take so long doing it because uh, I'm a perfectionist on it. No, I I always know there comes a point where you have to look at something and go, it's done. Yeah, done. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you have to. Yeah. Otherwise, you never finish anything at all. Exactly. And and mentally, when I say that to myself, it's done. It sort of clicks the light and says, "You're happy with it. This is good." Then it can, you know, go to the client, or it can go in your, you know, into the cabinets or into the, you know, the pluck tray to get taken to a tournament and get get done. The one thing I really need to do for this team is a display tray. Look, it's something I would have said at the end of the podcast, and I will probably say it at the end of the podcast anyway. But I. I'm always aware that I'm a better painter than I am a player. And it would be good to challenge for some painting awards for Blood Bowl this year. Because um, it was something I was always able to do within Scotland and a little bit internationally. 
um, for Blood Bowl. I would like to get myself back to that place for Blood Bowl again. I'd like to add some Blood Bowl, you know, painting trophies back into the cabinet. Like I look back and the last one was from 2018. So I would like to make, make that, um, make that different, make that a change. But to do that, I need a, I need some form of display tray. And I, I do not know if I'm going to have the time to, to make that happen yet. So fingers crossed. I think that's all hobby wise. It's really good. That's really productive. Mm -hmm. I both of us have put in a shift. I think yeah. on the the painting the painting side. Yeah, because all that again, all that Polish stuff. That's like forty infantry models. They're all metal. Yeah. So they're the client has sent me them fresh in the box. So it's like out the box, piling, cleaning up, gluing, then you know putting stuff on the bases because they're on little metal tabs. Blah blah blah. It's, you know, buckets of hobby time. Living the dream. Oh. I've just spotted something else. I've been airbrushing two of the little Polish tanks. Yep. Fun times. But the other exciting thing that happens at this point, we've been talking about all the fabulous hobby stuff that we do. The other, have, <laughs> the other fabulous hobby <laughs> habit that we've got is spending money, 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 money. Yes. And so, as is tradition... Our regular listeners will understand the game we're about to play. But myself and Phil, we never talk money anymore with each other. We just leave breadcrumbs and clues as to what we've been buying. And then it's down to us to guess how, um, how much happiness the other host of the podcast has spent or bought. Because money can buy you happiness in this hobby, can't it? Yes. Right. I'm going to let you guess first for me. Right. Let me think. I reckon you've been uh, like tight on the purse strings this month. Um, £14. No. Lower. Lower. Jesus Christ. Um, £7. No. Lower zero pounds, correct. I have bought <laughs> zero happiness this month. Fucking depressing. Oh, That's a that, that is amazing. Like, I would like, I would kill for a month where I just I'm, I'm gonna need to get something to just confiscate everything, change my password on eBay. <laughs> yep. I, I, I have done zero. What I will say though is that I've got a few things in baskets in different mm. different online stores and with online suppliers, but I don't need it right now. Therefore, I'm not buying it right now. So, I have had to do that as well this month. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but no, God, God Almighty, I I would uh, I aspire to your level of uh, hobby control there. Tight fistedness. That's some Zen shit there. Uh, yeah. Unreal. Donut. A donut. Right. Now, I think on the exact opposite of the scale of hobby happiness spending, you have fucked it this month, haven't you? 
Oh God, I've had a train run in my bank account. Oh my goodness. It's been just nuts. So I'm going to pitch high and I'm going to pitch at £310. Oh my God, that's actually very close. (laughs) Oh my God, I can't believe that's close. I was... Do I have to go higher? Slightly lower. Just a little bit lower. £304. Oh no, a, a bit higher than that. Yeah, right. £308.50. £308. Close. Very close. So I'll right. let you have that. £307.65. Fuck a duck, mate. What have you done? That's so much happiness. It is. It is a lot of happiness. It's just I, one of those months. I, every month. I am going to put myself on mute so that I can munch on some tasty treats as you tell us what did you get in the hobby this month for £307.65? It's been a fairly comprehensive month of buying things that uh, I, one, need, subjective, I know, uh, for uh, Warhammer the Old World uh, to make my army, my Chaos Dwarf army, a bit, run a bit better. And two... Uh, other bits and pieces uh, that I just wanted. So here we go. Um, I started the month off pretty sort of heavy anyway by picking up um, uh, one of the old Black Orc regiments of renown um, from the 80s uh, called Isa Uzagod's Mother Crushers. Um, and they are they'll work for my black orcs for my chaos dwarves and also black orcs for an orc army and they're nice i like them they're like the hobgoblins i got the majority of the troopers are um um like a monopose thing but in metal um if you're not familiar with them i then didn't spend much money for a wee while and then a bunch of stuff got put up on, on eBay uh, by the same account. And it was a few things that I'd, I was like, right, I could do with this, I could do with that. Uh, long story short, I caught uh, Marauder Miniatures Minotaur um, that I don't have. A Chaos Dwarf model that I don't have. It was one of the uh, sort of C-series ones, uh, the more mutanty looking ones. And um, five uh, Marauder Miniatures Orcs that would go along with my um, Marauder Miniature Orc regiment that I've got, just to fill it out to 20. So that's those bits. I then sat and along came, I think it was a Saturday morning, mid-month, um, a quick one where somebody posted up a bunch of stuff that they were selling and they were selling um, some of the old uh, Realm of Chaos era uh, Plague Bearer sculpts and I was like, right, well I, I'm collecting those uh, I, and I think he had like uh, maybe about six or seven of them on but somebody pipped me to the post for a couple of them but I managed to blag four of those for a very reasonable price which is good so that's ticked off that I didn't have 
Um, and then, like, literally a couple of days later, uh, another person pops into a, a group on the Facebook thing uh, with a full set of the Marauder Miniatures trolls. So there's six models. Uh, and it was going for a price that I was like, I, this just kills, like, like six birds with one stone. It saves me from having to wait and find these for this price cumulatively. And I can have all six of them. So that was a no-brainer um, and tied that up. And then I was like, right, okay, like I don't I don't really want to spend any more money. And then up on eBay popped um a box of um Ali Morrison's uh, Hobgoblin Warriors from nineteen eighty-three. <laughs> Phenomenal in that they're. I mean, I, I love Ali's uh, sculpting. Both Ali and Trish are probably like up there as favorite sculptors. I'm a massive Marauder Miniatures fanboy. Um, but these these things work are pre Marauder, um, uh, and they are they're not ugly as sin, but they're not pretty miniatures. They're, they're they've got their they've got a, a charm about them. Um, uh, but it was a full set. None of the weapons were broken. It was still in its box, with the box is in phenomenal condition, uh, and uh, even had the insert in it as well. So I was like, ah, I've got to have this. The guy, the person who was selling it, brought the price down twice on on eBay. Wow! But but also had a, uh, make an offer. So when he brought it down the second time, I was like, right, I'm going to chuck in an offer here. If it doesn't, if he doesn't accept it, fair enough, not a problem. If he doesn't accept it, I've got, a, I'm happy with that. Chucked it in, accepted. Jobs are good and received. Yep. So that that's it. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but we are talking what that's twelve, eighteen. Uh, Forty, fifty. I mean, there's like there's about fifty old hammer miniatures in there, varying in age from like like forty one years old uh, yeah. to. I think the newest one in there would have been early nineties. Just for the record, there, Phil. I quickly got the calculator out on your estimation of the number of models. So you've paid about six pounds fifteen pence per model. Yes, that's actually quite reasonable, mate. For for what I absolutely this was one of these things where like, I'm saying I'm saying here like this is one of these things where you're looking at the value of what's there based on my enjoyment of it, and that's yep. super enjoy enjoyable. But also, like if I bought all of these things individually, which you have to do quite a lot of the time, old hammer wise, um, I just spent a lot more than that on it. Mm -hmm. You think about your modern day purchases. If you were a Warhammer forty thousand player from Games Workshop, and you had three hundred pounds to buy a new Warhammer forty thousand army, how many models do you think you would get for that in plastic? So I I. I, I guess it depends on what you were getting, but um, if you were having like a, 
if you picked up one of the battle boxes or something like that, you would get 50 miniatures for £100 or something like that. Yeah. But you wouldn't get 50 individual sculpts. You would get yeah. repeats. Plastics, blue, crap. Uh, some of the, yeah. I think for me, a lot of it's like, it's one, it's buying nostalgia for me mm -hmm. as well. Uh, but also it's like completing out collections, you know, it's, uh, I'm quite happy. Uh, it was a, it was a pricey month. I'm going to have yeah. to. <clears throat> but uh, you bought a lot of happiness. I can, f I can hear your happiness. It was the trolls. The trolls were the big one. Um, like, like I've been sitting, not wanting to spend like 30 quid per troll. Yeah, which is kind of what they they kind of average out of that on eBay, and you're like, I could probably buy one every now and again, but it's it's going to take me ages to get them. But I got them for, I think it was closer to twenty three quid or thereabouts each, mm -hmm. which which is fine. Like they're they're they don't come up often. Um. They're very often broken as well. There were a few of them that had pretty uh, slender ankle joints and knee joints. Yep. Um, so you tend to see incomplete models a lot. It's like, you know, something like if I just did, if I just don't buy this, I'm going to regret it. So it was a worth worthwhile purchase. Cool. It was lovely seeing that uh, that Citadel miniatures box for the the Ali Morrison's one though. Like, yeah, seeing that image on your on your social media feeds was yeah, recent it's, nostalgia. It's difficult from eBay uh, sales to work out how good a uh, how good a condition things are in, because uh, generally speaking, a lot of folk on eBay can't take uh, photos for shit, uh, and you end up trying to work out what the fuck stuff is. Never mind what uh, what condition it's in, but. Um, this one, it looked the box looked in decent condition, but honestly, mm -hmm. I mean, I, if you'd have told me that box was um, like two years younger than I am, or three years younger than I am, I'd have been like, nah, <laughs> there's, no, yeah. there's no way somebody's kept the box and the the contents in that good a condition for for forty one years, you know, come on. So yep. yeah, uh, it's uh, it, it was a nice find, and um, I will enjoy. I'm not going to keep them in the box. I'm going to paint them at some point because I, I need another set of hobgoblins. Uh, and I'm not in the business of um, of just letting things languish in boxes just because they are have a perceived value. It, I bought these things to paint them and play with them. So yeah, they've waited forty years, mate. They deserve to be out of the box and based up and ready to play. They have. They're pre-slaughter stuff as well, so it's like uh, having to build up bases to, to work around uh, the stuff that's yeah. there as well. So it's, well uh, I use all-purpose all filler for that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, you can do that easy enough. Um, I, I quite often just use... Um, oh, what's it called? The... Uh, uh, it's not. It's not like the Citadel texture paints. It's a bit more the industrial kind of style ones, the ones that AK and um, Vallejo do, where they're just uh, like a bit thicker bodied, um, 
I'd built that up in stages as well. Um, but yeah, like um, all-purpose filler would probably do just as well. Yeah, be, be quicker. I would, I would, I would expect. Yeah, I will get around to them at some point. I think the black orcs will probably be the jump up the queue uh, for things to paint because I, I really need them for uh, for old world related stuff. Uh, unit of ten plus black orcs would be useful for the chaos dwarves. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> that's happiness, mate. Well done. Ugh. I wonder if I can spend zero pounds between now and next time we record. Give it a try. I think our listeners sure. would appreciate you showing a little bit of restraint. <laughs> we'll I'm see sure, what you can I'm do. Sure they would. I'm sure they would. We'll see uh, what you can do. Yeah. So with all that being said and done, listeners, we now get to enjoy uh, some talk about the Mulligans Open. And as we intimated at the start of the episode, Mulligan's Open is a two-day, six-game Blood Bowl event happening on Saturday the 2nd and 3rd of March 2024 in Edinburgh, which is obviously the capital of Scotland, and we are very excited. I'm I'm excited by it, Um, just because this is something quite special. Yep. Uh, it's, uh, It's Scotland's first... National. Yep. And so it would be remiss of us not to say that Mulligan's Open is the, I guess, the hard work from the team from the Murder King Blood Bowl League. And um, I think to name Chris Rafferty as their leader would be <laughs> would be accurate, would it not? Yeah, I would say. I mean, obviously, Chris will get other folk to do bits and pieces here and there, I'm sure, but uh, he's largely the, the the kind of driving force behind this. Yeah. So over a period of some years, Murder, the Murder King Bowl, um, Blood Bowl League team and, and Chris Rafferty and his team have been running um, different, different Mulligans events. And the, the reward of all that hard work is that this is going to be the first NAF national event that Scotland has ever hosted. Just because of the the volume of NAF members within a particular area, and the size of tournaments that have now started to appear on the Scottish tournament calendar, so it's a big thing for the Scottish community and and for the the Murder King Bowl team. So it's yeah, congratulations, and I'm, I am excited to be to be attending. Yeah, I it'll be good to see. I think there's. Although, assuming there's not any dropouts or anything like that, um, I think there's about a hundred players um, down for attending, which is great. You know, it's, yep. uh, it was a big, uh, a big deal getting as many people to. Um, maybe it's not as many. Maybe it's ninety. Ninety. It is ninety, which is still fantastic. Um, don't get me wrong. Um, I think it was good seeing. Like the Mulligan side of things grow, because um, they they had to was it their second one just before COVID, um, and then obviously COVID landed, and then they were one of the first ones to kind of get back into the swing of things, which is grand. And Edinburgh obviously opens up uh, a good uh, locale for people coming from out, uh, further afield as well, which is good. 
Um, so, yeah, no, what it's it's a it's a good thing. It's a good thing for the community. It's a good thing for Scotland. And there's there's some decent players coming from outside of the Scottish community, which is grand. Yep. So where do you want to begin to unpack the Mulligan's Open player pack, Phil? Should we just like I don't I don't see any benefit in naming every team what teams in every year and stuff like that. Um we can kind of go through like the kind of the basics. So, I mean, do you want me to do that or do you want to do it? Um, I'm happy for you to do it, mate. Sure. Okay. Um, I still so feel like we'll... I've spoken a lot about my games and stuff, so you, you need some good air time as well. Yeah, so um, roster creation, you're sitting on TV 1150, uh, which has become the standard uh, for for most tournaments these days, especially in the UK. I know I know America is slightly different. They tend to have slightly higher. Um, there are some inducements available. The usual sort of shit. The big the big ones that stand out are things like Halfland Master Chef, etc. Uh, star players wise, um, there is a. There is a bit of a kind of caveat to star player use. There were, there's a list of mega stars, um, of which the usual suspects are in there. Your Morgs, your uh, Hack Flem, um, the uh, Griff, that that sort of shit. Uh, Scare Stab Stab's been added into there as well. I'm not sure we've maybe had enough games with him. To say for sure he's a megastar, but I can see the reasoning behind that one. I'm I'm not too precious about that. Uh, there are six tiers, um, and then there's a pack uh, that is available. The pack the pack's not overly complicated. It's going to be difficult to explain because there's quite a lot going on, but uh, skill wise, but you've got. Five skill points to spend for tier one, six for tier two, seven for tier three, eight for tier four, nine for tier five, ten for tier six. You, there's no limit on primary skills. You get one uh, one point uh, per primary skill, and then each of the tiers has a, a limit for uh, for other things. So, like secondary skill wise, secondary skills cost two points. Um, and that is uh, a maximum of one for tiers one through to three, two for uh, for tier four, two for tier five, and three for tier six. Then there's a star player. Uh, star players cost two skill points, um, and you can have a maximum of one of them from tier one to five, and then tier six can have two. You then have mega stars mentioned before. They're four points. Um, all tiers have a, a maximum of one for them, and then you can skill stack, uh, which is two primaries, and that costs four points. And you can do that a maximum of once across all tiers as well. Yeah. Then have an additional thing, which is um, you can st add stat increases. 
um, within the rules of the of BB twenty twenty. So the maximum uh, stat increases for individual things like AV, MAPA, Edge, and Strength, and they all have a a skill point cost as well. So AV is one skill point. Movement passing is two skill points. Agility is three skill points, and strengths five skill points. So there's quite a lot of a lot open people there. Um, yeah, loads of options. Loads yep. of options. But but it is straightforward. Yes, it 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 sounds like there's a lot going on there. But once you actually start pulling teams together. You're quite hemmed into what you can actually reasonably take. I think for a lot of a lot of teams, yeah. um, you're not going to chuck. I mean, there are things you can do, uh, and I'm sure once we start seeing uh, the rosters come out midweek, I think Chris said he was going to uh, make them visible uh, to the, the the unwashed masses. Uh, so, yeah, so that, that's kind of the the path. So, I mean, the t the teams the teams split into tiers. I think difficult to do, do. Do you want me to go through that as well? Well, I'll I'll pick up from here. So, as you said, there's six tiers with all the teams split between them. So, uh, located in tier one, you've got Dark Elf, Lizards, and Shambling Undead. So, there's only three or three three teams in tier one. So effectively, they are limited to five primary skills, and I, I don't see anybody taking any of those teams doing any going down any other path. Do you? Um, don't know. I mean, probably not. I I, I can't. I, I definitely could. If I if I was running lizard man, I wouldn't take anything other than five block. Um, Dark Elves have got a bit, maybe a bit more going for them, but again, like with only five points to work with, um, yeah, I, I don't see me giving a secondary skill there. Ditto exactly. for Shambling Undead. I'm probably not taking a star player for any of those teams. Exactly, because in addition to obviously, in addition to the the points, you have to spend the you know the team value to get the player, and that'll drastically impact. You know, you're, those 11 players that you can actually purchase for the team before you even look at a star player. So, yes. um, Tier 2. Tier 2 is a bit busier. Amazons, Chaos Dwarf, Dwarf, Human, Norse, Orc, Skaven, Underworld Denizens, and Woodies. So I think they are more the classic sense that they can get six primary skills. Um, yeah. And there's, you know, we could you, we could theory roster all day about the um, how warranted secondary skills are for some of the teams you'd be tempted you know mm, probably not where, where mm. those ones come in for me I think is star players like that like some of them you can justify giving up two points for uh, or maybe maybe four points a, a push for some of them uh, to uh, to get a, a star player in there. Sitting in tier three, Imperial Nobility, Elven Union, High Elves, Necromantic Horror, Slan, and Vampires. Yep. 
I think that that's a good a good range. So they've got seven points. So you mm-hmm. you've got you're starting to open up to uh, double possibility. But there again, you know, I think vamps are probably the biggest one for skill stacking or doubles in in that one. Um, yeah. I think I think vampires are well tiered in this. They, they, for me, they're they're middle middle tier uh, middle tiering in most tournaments. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they do at the weekend. Um, yeah. Then tier four: Black Orc, Chaos Chosen, Camry, Tomb Kings, and Corn. Yeah, so they get eight points. I yeah. think Corn are are probably a bit. They should probably be in tier three, I think. But they're, they're a strong team with eight eight skills. They they will be quite a, an interesting one to come up against, or six, or six skills and a double effectively, or a secondary skill rather. Tier five: Chaos Renegades, Nurgle, and Old World Alliance. Yep. Again, they get nine points, so then you're starting to open up star players again for those. And yeah, like Nurgle were one I actually considered because uh, um, you could go, um, you could get Skitter Stab Stab into a Nurgle team there without compromising too much. You would still get five skills uh, across the team, uh, which is isn't bad. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it. If it makes Old World Alliance much more viable, they they can sneak a couple of stars in and be reasonable as well. Renegades, mm-hmm. they're probably better with the nine skills or this or adding a stack in there on something, um, or a secondary even maybe. Yep. Then tier six: halflings, goblins, ogres, snotlings, as you would expect. Yeah. yeah so they get your ten points. Um, which again opens up star players fine, um, and secondaries if you're if you're taking anything with trolls or or whatever, you, you can sneak a couple of secondaries in there too. I mean, you can take a mega star and you can get th- uh, two secondaries and a and two normal skills um, on a team. Yeah, so you could you could quite comfortably run Griff ogres. Uh, there, for example. So, so even though the actual rosters haven't been released through um, tour play, we can see the numbers of teams selected within the tiers at the moment. Have you? How do we look at that? Yeah, I think they're still missing maybe one roster. Um, yeah, but it's. I mean, it's enough to talk about. But yeah, the the spread of tiering. Yeah, so you know, teams taken out of tier one, there are fifteen. Tier two is by far the lion's share at thirty four teams. Yeah. Then tier three is thirteen. Tier four is eight. Tier five is the least popular, with only four. And then tier six is twelve, so there are twelve stunnies. But yeah, yeah tier was... tier tier five, not happening. Yeah, I I I'm surprised. I'm surprised there's not as much 
uh, in tier five, to be honest. It's a weird one. No, I think tier five is an odd, an odd thing because that they are actually viable. I think in this, some of them. Yep. Nurgle are usually a non-starter because people they're, they're they're been hampered a little bit anyway with the, with the rules changes. But um, yeah, it's an interesting an interesting prospect there. I think they could have. Somebody could have made that work. Uh, like I said, I considered it as well. Um, yeah. Briefly. Um, I'm I'm not surprised that tier two's as high as it is. Of course, it's going to be full of underworld, Skaven, and Amazon rosters. I think with the uh, Asmat and a Chaos Dwarves and uh, Norse and Orcs. Yeah. I don't think there'll be many. There might be a few dwarf teams. Uh, a couple of human teams and maybe one or two wood elves. I, I, I doubt the wood elves will be massively represented there. Um, what was the other ones like? So tier three, tier four. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. To, sorry, my surprise for tier five was tier, my surprise for tier four. Actually, yeah, I was, expecting, I was expecting more tomb kings and corn. Uh, and black orcs, um, than we've got there, because I think the pack is is quite nice for those. Um, but yeah, it's a it's it's a good spread. Like I like I like a wide tiering like that. You know, like three tiers isn't enough uh, in a tournament unless you have a really tight pack. Yeah, um, but a nice wide tiering like that works quite well, um, and it's obviously worked. I mean, there's over ninety players have signed up for a two day event, so it's you know the the pack hasn't put anybody off. No, 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 absolutely not. No, I think uh, the pack's the right the right kind of thing, and it's it, the way it's been set up is quite nice as well. You know, it, it does. I think five points to spend across the tier one teams are. It's difficult. I mean, there are a few teams I probably would have moved around. Like Skaven could possibly have been in tier one. Uh, Underworld could even possibly have been tier one, given the the, the other things that are an option. Uh, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's reasonably well well <clears throat> as far as I I'm concerned. I I don't have any major misgivings about what's there. Um. So yeah, all right. So, should we should we talk our teams then? That's a very very good idea. <coughs> so, obviously, myself and Phil are committed to going to this, and we've submitted our rosters. Yes, my roster's submitted, as is mine. So let's go on to tour play just to refresh our memories. Yes. Do you do you want to? Lay yourself on the line first. Yeah, I'll go for it. So, I I, I hummed and hard over this a fair bit. My options were, um, lizards, orcs, chaos dwarves, Nurgle, and vampires. 
they were the five that I was considering based on the pack. I played okay. Vampires at Jingle Bowl um, just before Christmas. So I kind of got that out of my system and decided, fuck, I can't be bothered playing six games of Vampires. I'll, I'll run them again at a three-day uh, three event. A three-game event, rather. Um, Chaos Dwarves, I was like, I don't think this is the right one for them. I'll, I'll leave them and play them another time. Um, Lizards, I'm planning on running Lizards at um, the Team Champs. Uh, which is a slightly different it's similar rule pack but slightly different um, and then that left me with Nurgle and Orcs and I was like I haven't played Nurgle in 2020 rules so one that I'm probably going to ro roll out in the league at some point or roll out again at a tournament um, but I was like I am I going to enjoy six games of those Having not played them for a while, probably not. So that left me with the orcs. Um, I'm comfortable playing orcs. I enjoy playing orcs. So my team is orcs. Mm -hmm. I have gone with an, an untrained troll, four biggin blockers, four blitzers, two linemen, a goblin, three rerolls, and two assistant coaches. Um, so and that leaves me with 5k to spend. Um, I skill wise, so I get six skill points to spend. Mm -hmm. Um, I took block on two of the big and blockers, guard on two on the other two, mighty blow on one of the blitzers, and guard on one of the blitzers. I hummed and had overtaken tackle on one of the blitzers because I assumed that there would be quite a lot of underworld or skaven or whatever. But you know something? The last two tournaments I've played with orcs, I don't think I've cared too much about not having tackle. Right. Like I, I haven't felt like I've lost it or missed it that much. I have felt, I've always felt with, with orcs that you're, like, if you can, if you can hold your own against the, the more guard spam stuff like, like the, the dwarves, by having an, uh, by having the extra guard pieces, uh, it makes a difference. But also that helps against the edge teams as well. Because not every team, every not every player on the edge team's got block. Not every player on the edge team's got dodge. So you you get that kind of versatility of having the the guard and the mighty blow helps with thinning the numbers out. Yeah, that that's my thought process on that one. There's nothing wrong with taking tackle. I'm sure like plenty of people will take tackle and enjoy taking tackle. I'm not saying it's a bad move. I would have taken it as well, possibly. But guards my guards my thing with my playstyle, and um, and other folk would take other folk would take a thrower rather than one of the linemen. But 
I prefer to carry on a blitzer because you've got the extra armor, you've got the extra yeah. the extra square of movement, and uh, I've never had any problems with that. Sure hands, yeah, sure hands is nice, but like I've got three rerolls. Like there's enough block across the team to make that work and make sure I pick it up. Strip ball, yeah, you're going to come up against some strip ball players. There's bound to be a strip ball Skaven team out there. Uh, there's bound to be, um, if somebody's taking wood elves, somebody will have strip ball on something there. Uh, and there's also possibly going to be strip ball on a vampire team. And then you've got strip ball on the Valkyries, on the, um, the Norse team. So, yes, sure hands helps eliminate that. But if somebody's hitting my my, uh, if somebody's hitting a straight dice on my ball carrier, I've made, I've fucked something up. So yeah, you've got more you've got more problems than that. Yeah, I've got more problems than that. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm my aim is to not have my ball carrier hit. And if a Skaven wants to six up into into my cage and. Three dice uphill me uh, with a guard runner, uh, with guard everywhere. That's fine. Go for it. Uh, I could, I'm I'm okay with that. It'll work sometimes. It won't work other times. Um, it could be worse for them outcome than it would be for me. So that's uh, that's fine. I'm okay with that. I'm at peace with that. So that, that that's my team. It's pretty boring. I can't, I, <laughs> Like I said, I I did consider Skitter Stab Stab um, Nurgle. That works. You know, like, I think you could get that, that to work. Um, I did even consider, like, it crossed my mind for a moment to do Skitter um, Norse, because you can make that work as well. Because uh, although they get this, they're in the same tier, you get the six uh, skills, uh, skill mm -hmm. points. Uh, you, can, you can probably drop down to two uh, skill points quite happily with taking a mega star. Um, you have to give up the yeti, uh, but there again, like yeti's not essential to Norse playstyle, so um, it's not the end of the world. Um, so yeah, that's me. That, that you, moment, you that been. moment, that moment when you said, you know, that your team's boring. I thought it's like you dirty bastard. What a segue into my team. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we already know what you, you're taking because yeah. uh, you you kind of admitted what you're painting, and, and I I know anyway. But um, but I don't I, know what skills you've taken. I am dwarfing it, so that is no surprise to the listeners. Um, yes, I've been playing dwarfs all of last year, and I'll I'll play them for a good portion of this year as well, just as a way to sort of reestablish my um, sort of blood bowl skills, uh, so to speak, but. Dwarf-wise, so again, sitting in Tier 2, I have picked up two Troll Slayers, a Dwarf Runner, a Dwarf Blitzer, and then... How many is that? Eight Dwarf Linemen? For a total of 12, 12 players. That's right, isn't it? One, two, three, four, five, six, six, eight. Yep. Eight Linemen, one Blitzer, one Runner, two Slayers. I am sitting on three rerolls, two assistant coaches, one cheerleader, and an apothecary. And it leaves me 5,000 gold pieces in the bank. So that's not 
strayed too far away from the team I've been playing, um, you know, quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Skill-wise, it will not come as any surprise. I have got one of the Slayers has got Mighty Blow, the Runner has Block, and then I've got four linemen with Guard. Yes. So. Guard spam doors. Yep. The only big variation for me there was that usually um, I've been running both the Slayers with Mighty Blow and three guard and the one block on the runner. What I found coming off of the back of the the Euro Bowl, the Greek, Greek Euro Bowl practice on Fumble from last year, mm-hmm. I had issues uh, with strength. I um I played two Amazon teams and they're what are their big girls called again? Whatever warriors, uh, eagle fat, warriors, something like jag, that. Jaguar what? Jaguar the the big fat girls that are strength four and the the and they've got defensive. Um, yes. I had issues with them. I also had issues. Oh, it was another. I'm sure it was black orcs. And yeah, and I know I would have the same problem with lizards when there are you know three or four, two, three or four strength four pieces running around. For whatever reason, I found that the three guard just wasn't enough to meet the needs I I had. So I didn't ever see the return on in terms of like casualties or KOs from the two the two mighty blow pieces. So I thought taking a mighty blow, switching into to, to four guard, that should sort of plug plug that gap. And honestly, it'll make me a more cautious player because if I see mighty blow on something, I feel as though I need to use it all the time. And if I've only got mighty blow on one player, then I'll actually think about what it is he's trying to do instead of launching two mighty blow slayers and watching them wander off. You know needlessly hammering away at, you know, fucking air. So um so look again, not not an exciting roster, but but for me I've been analysing the games I've played. I'm trying to, you know, do small changes to see if I can um you know turn those one one draws into two one or one nil victories for myself. So that's me crossing my fingers in tier two. And of course, as well, being a dwarf player turning up to a big event, I, I should encourage a lot of um, rude comments and, you know, horrible <laughs> looks, which I will thrive on. Yes, yeah, I'm sure. Like, uh, everybody hates a dwarf player. I know, can't wait. It is, I've, uh, got, I've got a beard. Come and hate me. You, you, you aren't a dwarf, though. Oh, very much no. I'm. What, what was it you've called me in the past? Stretchy goblin. Yes. <laughs> All goblin. Stretchy goblin. Yeah. <coughs> so yeah, I think. Um, I mean, I'm. I would. I'm. Got no aspirations of winning uh, Mulligan Ball. Uh, it's going to be a pretty tough field. Um, I would be happy just coming away with even Stevens. Uh, from the tournament, if I come away with a negative, uh, a net negative, I'll be annoyed. 
uh, how about yourself? What what's your aims? Are you hoping for six draws? <laughs> if I can get six draws and make six people miserable, success. Yes. But in real in reality, I think it'll be more likely um, one three two. Yeah, I I reckon I could go. I could quite easily go four oh two or four one one or three uh three two one or something like that. Um, no bother. Um, yeah. it, a lot will depend on what. I'm, Again, like like anything, a lot depends on what you're up against, who you're up against. Uh, people give it the old uh, uh, cream rises to the top of the uh, the six day events and stuff like that. But um, you get it's still a tough it's still a tough call. You can play against somebody who's average, who's just got the complete um tonight to your team and lose. Quite easily, and then submarine your way back up the tables, and go five oh one. Yep. Or you can hit the nosebleeds fairly early on, and then just have a bad, a bad game, and that get in your head. You know, it's all, you can only piss with the cock you got at the end of the day. Exactly. So, I reckon. I reckon I will go draw loss, draw loss, draw win. I think my win will be the last game. Yeah. Yep. See if just it's got this one to last. Just got that, got that vibe, got that feeling. Um, again, just the the experience level of the players that are going to be there. My own um, current level of sort of tabletop play play experience. Um, but you know, I've I've got to remember as well. You know, of the one tabletop I did, I went one one one. I can. I think I've just got to remember to stay, stay focused on it. Yeah. Not just you know hands up in the air and let it all go. So yeah, look, it'll be it's going to be a good challenge. It'll be good when we do our talk about our gaming next time out. So obviously we'll be talking about this event. Um, look, worst case scenario, we play each other. That would be. Fucking grudge match. That would be horrible. Would be um, it would be a tough one. Like, like for orcs, that's not a great matchup. I think uh, for for dwarves again, also not a great matchup. You know, like no. Well, as as talked about, you've got those strength four pieces as well, though. Yeah, and and only one less guard than you. You know, it's yeah, uh, and and better movement across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, Good armor as well. Tackle means fuck all to you, uh, uh, to me, uh, from your team as well. It's just like a, yeah. a waste apart from the goblin. The goblin's not getting turned out until I have to. Until it's time to throw one. Yeah, one turn. If if everything's gone bad, to either tie a match or or win a match that was being tied. So, yeah, um, yeah, I think uh, it'd be good. It'd be good, good to play you, but. Um, I think a lot will depend on where we're both sitting, unless unless we get randomly drawn against each other, turn round one or round two, it will greatly depend on how our first uh, day's gone. I think uh, yep. if we're both riding high, or or riding lower, or riding mid table at the same time, there's obviously a good chance, but you can quite easily just not see anybody. Yeah, uh, you know. Uh, 
or you could end up driving hundreds of miles and play somebody who's uh, you've driven down with. Well, thankfully, I'm at that lucky stage where I'll, I, I I will happily play everybody. Um, well, within reason, play. <laughs> Let's not go too fucking crazy. Um, but because I haven't played a lot of tabletop tournaments. I'll be happy to sit down in front of you know the vast majority of Scottish players because I haven't seen them in a long time. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a few stinkers in there, but the majority of the fields are are, are good are good guys. Yeah. So Mulligans, obviously, we'll talk about next time. Um, but I just thought we um, before we wrap up our our podcast for for this time out, maybe talk about our hopes and aspirations, at least what are our goals. For the coming month hobby goals. hobby goals life goals you name them what have you got on the menu um so i'll, I'll obviously uh expect to finish the underworld commission uh by the time we record next time otherwise my client will be quite unhappy with me when i don't turn up with it at mulligans um then i will be straight on to finishing off um, a few other bits and bobs uh, for a Skaven team and Goblin team that are part of the same commission. Um, so I'll, I should be well underway with that. But I'm already well underway with that. The the Skaven are sort of fifty percent painted, and the the other Goblins are right about the same sort of neck of the woods. So um, I w- I'm already well underway with that. So I'm. Depending on where we, we record in the month, I might even be finished that one. Will I get any time for my own stuff? Maybe. I could do with painting a... Even if it's just a single model or something like that as a palette cleanse. Uh, just to kind of get something in. Um, Games-wise, obviously Mulligans. Um, I don't think I'll have played much else other than the odd game on Fumble um, for that. I'm trying to get a game of either 4th edition Fantasy Battle or, or the Old World arranged with Gordon um, in the next month. That'll very much come down to our availabilities. Um, yeah, that's about it for me. I don't think I'm planning on doing... Uh, there's no other tournaments think we're april before the next one anyway after mulligans and we're both going to that one as well on the same team so yep yeah how about yourself what are you what's your aspirations for next month ridiculously busy mate cannot wait march so mulligans ah, look as i said earlier trying to put to put out our best you know some of the some good blood bowl painting I'm realistic, and in such a huge field, you know, trying to pick up a best painters award is going to be very tough, and especially because there's foreign players flying in. I'm sure there's some Spanish players going to attend. And whenever you see Spanish, sorry, there are, yeah, there, there definitely yep. are some Spanish players. So whenever you see Spanish players or Italian players or French players in Blood Bowl, you know that their miniatures are going to look really good because they, for whatever reason, there's there's so many more amazing painters in those countries than there are in others, I feel. So, but as long as I can be, 
you know, looked upon to be in the sort of top five teams there, that would be enough for me. So I really would like that to happen. Um, but I think time is against me. But that's that's life. Um, and we've already spoken about the sort of the game inside. I would love to go six draws and keep a you know a, a clean sheet, so to speak. But I truly believe I'll end up with uh, one win, three draws, and two losses, which is, I think, probably a, a fairer result for me. On top of that, though, in the month of March, uh, the bolt action, the Scottish bolt action tournament season continues. So I'll be travelling up to Aberdeen for, uh, what's the event called? Northern Lights. And that's in the tail end of um, the tail end of March. I think it's like I'm going to say like the 24th. Whatever, it's on Sunday. Um, so that's a one day, three game event. And th this is the first event where Scottish Championship points are starting to get awarded. So I really want to put some some big numbers on the board to reclaim that title this year. And at the moment, I don't know what I'm taking. It's a single generic platoon, and you get you can only use the units that are published in the army books. It's very much focused as a beginner beginner event. So, in the way the lists are created, you cannot use the more exotic units or combine them in exotic ways. If that makes sense. Um, is very much sort of, you know, the, the core of it. And there's a whole bunch of other limitations on powerful units and powerful combinations, which is completely fine. It's a beginner event, but, uh, you know, you don't have to bring a, a non-competitive beginner attitude to it. But if you bring an army that's conforms to the rules, it will be intrinsically softer than something that you would take to a you know, no holds barred tournament. So that's where you're limited. And I'm 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 happy with that. I don't care about the format. It's the gameplay I enjoy. So I need to find something I'm happy with. Um but I have I've said to my friend um Bo Mortensen who I've I've mentioned already on this podcast that I'm going to try and win or at least be on the podium with lots of different nations over the course of this year. I I think I've done it to prove a point to Bo because Bo oh mate, Bo talks about how he's un undefeated using uh, a British army that he runs all the time. And I just want to prove a point that you know you can achieve good tournament results with multiple nations, you know. You know, well, I think that, I think the audience know what I'm trying to say. And I think I, I think Bo knows what I'm trying to say as well. So I need to pick something. Uh, whatever I use in Aberdeen, I might not be able to use again for the rest of the year. So I just have to choose carefully. Um, but I suspect it'll be Germany. I like I like Germany early in the year. They're they're a good army with lots of lots of good options out of their basic book. Um, but painting wise, obviously finish the dwarves. I need to add more to the Japanese army, so maybe at least maybe another 10 infantry models would be good. Uh, looking over at that commission, the models that I've got sort of undercoated and base-coated, they need to be finished. So that's another sort of 15 or 18 infantry models. 
And then on top of that, I need to build and base uh, probably at least like 12 of their cavalry units. Oh, and finish the little Polish tanks. So, yeah, I've got big aspirations for March, both from painting and tournaments. And, ooh, this is going to be a big call. I'm going to try and spend zero money again and do back-to-back donuts. Because I'm going to laugh. I'm going to laugh at your ass because you're going to blow it again. I mean, well, I mean, I'm not kidding myself. There's, there's absolutely zero chance of me spending zero pounds. But I would like to not be spending anywhere near as much as I did this month. That's for sure. Yep. Agree. So with all that being said and done, Phil, it has been a pleasure talking to you once again. And I would like to thank our audience who um, hopefully there haven't been too many pauses through throughout this um, podcast. I, I've definitely said um, a few times. Mm. Uh, so I think, I think <laughs> part of me is doing that subconsciously now on purpose because I know it yeah. annoys some people. Points are made. But Perhaps. thank you to, thank you to our listeners, our regular listeners. And if you're new to our podcast, thank you for that as well. And please stay safe like and share and all that you know social media content nonsense and we'll see you again in the near future amazing goodbye goodbye